there is a very real, what I class as need to manage. Three simple words, need to manage. Everything that you see in here focuses on the animal and focuses on the emotion. It doesn't actually look at it from what are the effects of that overgrazing. And that's what's missing from the whole debate. And until we get that through into people's thinking, we're going nowhere. Right, I come up. That'll do for a start. Up you go, boys and girls. G'day listeners, this is the Pastoral Potty, proudly brought to you by the folks at Western Local Land Services. I'm your host, Edgar Greston. Throughout this special series on kangaroo management, we've unpacked a range of issues around this wicked challenge. From landowners, conservation groups and the Indigenous community, to wildlife advocates, industry and the general public, everyone has a different view and story to tell. So in this episode, we'll talk to an ecologist who's found some common ground between many of these stakeholders. And we'll also hear from the industry and government about some new initiatives and how a predictive tool for kangaroo populations could help advance kangaroo management in Australia. Public perceptions around management of our national icon, it's a huge one. That's Fiona Garland, team leader with the Kangaroo Management Task Force at Western Local Land Services. That is why we need to bring all the stakeholders together. We need to have those roundtable discussions because some people are never going to accept any lethal management of kangaroos. They don't want to see that at all. And at the other end of the spectrum, you have people that want to reduce their numbers so that they can manage their landscapes better. So it's everybody has a stake. All Australians have a stake in kangaroo management, really. That's the crux of it. But we, what we need to do is bring all those stakeholders together, really sort of unpack what the issues are, And not everybody's got to agree, but everybody has to be part of the conversation. And then once we unpack it, we need to start putting it back together and coming up with solutions. There's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution for all landscapes in Australia or all communities, but we do need to start talking about it. Most importantly, we need to get the traditional owners in the room. They need to be front and centre in these conversations because they've got all that traditional knowledge from 65,000 years of management of this landscape and these and kangaroos and other animals plus their needs need to be identified and their aspirations recognized you know like I've spoken with Aboriginal communities in western New South Wales who want better access to kangaroo products plus you know is there are there more opportunities for Aboriginal people to work on country in the kangaroo harvest industry you know is, is there a branding opportunity here like you know like around traditional ownership of this amazing resource and endorsing the sustainable use of kangaroos. I think there are plenty of opportunities there. But the main thing is we've just got to bring people together and have those conversations because it's just one of those tricky issues where, you know, there's not much of an appetite to have those conversations because it can get quite complex and quite heated. Whilst there are many strong divergent views amongst stakeholders, there's also a lot of shared common ground. One person who's found that common ground is Dr. John Reed, an ecologist specialising in ecosystem management with passionate interest in kangaroo management. And in 2021, he co-authored a paper in a special kangaroo edition of Ecological Management and Restoration, which included a joint national statement calling for collaborative national approaches to kangaroo management. One of the main motivations for preparing this special edition about overabundant kangaroos and my involvement with it 
was to capture the thoughts and the endorsement of a whole range of different stakeholders because I knew from my experience and other who were involved knew from their experience that a whole range of organizations were dealing with these same issues but were dealing with it in isolation and it was very difficult for a, a particular conservation organization or a, a farmer's lobby or a, um, or a different group to raise this you know it's a wicked issue it's it's it seems it's a really difficult um, proposal that we should be we should be harvesting, we should be managing kangaroos. We should be literally, we should be going out there and, and killing these iconic Australian animals. And um, what was really important and a chief motivation was to, to get all of these different stakeholders together and come up with a collective statement that, that outlines some key facts. And the key facts are that there are more kangaroos now than there used to be. There are too many kangaroos in a lot of cases and the welfare and the environmental and the natural resource management implications of them are significant and should be addressed. And here's a way of addressing that. So there were a whole range of different organizations. And this was one publication that I reckon had more iterations than every other publication I've ever had. There was probably 400 versions of this statement, which was required to, to capture and make sure that all these different stakeholders were engaged and, and embracing it. The list of organisations covers a range of stakeholder groups, including the Ecological Society of Australia, Greening Australia, Indigenous Land and Sea Corporation, as well as the Australian Mammal Society and conservation NGOs like Bush Heritage, just to name a few. So we had really the peak bodies for wildlife management, for mammal conservation, for ecological management, for restoration, for Indigenous landowners and, and for farming groups all coming together and saying the same thing. So I think that was one of the key outputs and objectives of this process. I think what's really important is that those organisations that signed on, those organisations that are really keen to engage and prosecute the case for better kangaroo management, they're not the kangaroo meat industry. We see kangaroo harvesting and kangaroo meat processing industry as a tool and probably the optimal tool for delivering what we want, but they're not the driver. And I think that's really important. So this is not being driven by an industry wanting access to a resource. This is being driven by a whole range of stakeholders wanting society to change and our perceptions to change. And we, I guess, settled on the kangaroo industry as being the tool to deliver that. So I think that's a really important thing. Whilst the industry plays a very functional role, John says they're only part of the solution. If the kangaroo management issue is seen as the mandate of a small struggling industry, it's not going to get a lot of resourcing. But if it's seen as, as a way to address this national animal welfare and, and resource management issue, then it's a, it's a totally different way of looking at it. And this is actually an issue that every one of us can address. If every one of us stopped putting up barriers against harvesting or eating kangaroos and actually embraced it and were proactive about it and you know made sure that you know when we went to a restaurant we said you know have you got kangaroo here or said you know why don't you try a kangaroo lasagna or even if we don't want to do that don't um, spread distruths about it's not hygienic or the kangaroos are going extinct or it's cruel and things like that so i think we've all got to work together to address this this wicked problem of overabundant kangaroos in the most factual and logical and transparent way possible the challenge is how to communicate those facts in a way that engages with all the stakeholders, from the public to the decision makers. And John says that marketing does play a role, but it needs to be grounded in the facts. What we need to do is have the people who are good at marketing and, and developing campaigns to help prosecute this case. What I think is really important along with that and as a precursor to that is, is pretty much what we've been doing for the last few years and collecting all the evidence and getting a, a collective statement by the stakeholders 
designed to, to demonstrate the facts rather than the ideology. There's a lot of debate and opinion out in the public about kangaroo management in New South Wales. And it's important to distinguish the facts from emotions. Dennis King is the executive officer of the Kangaroo Industry Association and a member of the Kangaroo Management Task Force. And I asked him how the public debate plays out in the industry. Probably the, the biggest challenge is people who don't understand the industry. And there's a lot of bad uh, press that comes out. And we've been heavily involved in an education program and a PR program funded by the Australian government. And we're engaging with the European and the US regulators and customers to highlight the reality of the truth about the industry from a commercial point of view. We continue to highlight the research and development that we're doing in relation to the code of practice that was just recently released and a new code of practice, which heightened again the requirements of harvesters and added more stringent requirements. Compliance to the code of practice is crucial to the industry because Public perceptions both in Australia and overseas can affect market access and the industry's ability to contribute to kangaroo management goals. We haven't fulfilled quota now since um, probably 2008 or 2009 when the Russian uh, market disappeared. We haven't been able to utilise anywhere near our quota. Quite often it's probably 30 to 40%, maybe less sometimes. At the moment, we've got know, significant quotas out there at the moment, but the harvest is almost nil because harvesters can't get onto properties because they're, they're absolutely saturated and they can't drive around them. That issue is a major problem and we can't overcome that. That's a weather-driven factor and, and there's just no way to, to resolve that until it dries out. And the way things are going at the moment, that's not going to happen in, in any early hurry, particularly in New South Wales. From environmental pressures and issues with gaining access to public perception of kangaroo management, the industry faces a number of challenges. Terry Brill is the Commercial Kangaroo Management Program team leader with New South Wales State Government that regulates the industry and assists in the management of kangaroo populations. He's recently been working on a number of trials and initiatives to help improve implementation of the program. One of those is moving towards a digital tag with a real-time scanning of that tag. The benefit of that is that it will provide both the program but also um, other players in the industry with real-time information uh, about the harvest, so including location and time of the harvest and then location and time of as, as the carcasses move through the processing chain. That will help both both the kangaroo management program but also our colleagues in food authority and help to ensure not only that our requirements are complied with but also the the food authority um, it, it'll ensure really top quality product essentially for our for our customers we're also trialing at the moment mobile chillers so harvesters at the moment harvesters and dealers at the moment can register a mobile chiller under a trial arrangement and move that around to where the kangaroos are or where they happen to be working. And that helps to helps a number of things. It helps product quality. It helps to improve the, the safety for the harvesters and it gives them more flexibility around what they're, what they're doing. We're also got another number of other initiatives where we're looking to move to financial year licensing, which will help many of the harvesters with their cash flow. 
Christmas time and things like that. Sounds like a small thing, but it's actually really significant. A number of other technological innovations around compliance and, and looking at things like uh, pre-license testing, pre-license knowledge testing, etc. as well. Many of these small but significant innovations resulted from consultation with the Kangaroo Management Program's advisory panel that has representatives from various stakeholder groups. Landholders, Aboriginal groups, animal dealers, the department, scientists, animal welfare representatives such as veterinarians and RSPCA are all on that panel. It gives us a forum we can consult with, if you like, to talk about future management proposals. And we consulted with them earlier this year on a number of the initiatives that we're planning to roll out, such as digital tags and, and also the mobile chillers, financial year, licensing period, etc. To take these initiatives from idea to implementation often require working with other government departments. And this is possible through the New South Wales government's interagency kangaroo working group. In New South Wales, we have a number of agencies that are interested in kangaroo management and have been for many years. As a result of that ongoing interest from other agencies, we have a, a really vibrant interagency working group that involves the Department of Primary Industries, the local land services, food authority, ourselves, commercial kangaroo management program, as well as national parks that look after the non-commercial culling program. That interagency working group, they've got some great expertise and some great minds that, that have really helped us to do a range of things over the last couple of years, including respond to the parliamentary inquiry into the health and well-being of kangaroos and prepare the government response to that. They've also, you know, talked issues through with us um, in terms of how, you know, how we should approach some issues and things like that, which has been really valuable. As well as implementing these trials, the Kangaroo Management Program is responsible for conducting kangaroo surveys and setting harvesting quotas. When we do the annual surveys and analyse those to give us populations, we use the best available science we have. It's, it's actually very good world-class science to do those surveys and come up with those pop population estimates. The quota that is then set based on those populations is quite conservative. What is most contested is the actual survey results. Animal rights groups would contest whether those surveys are accurate. From a government oversight perspective, what do you think would help resolve this contention around the figures? The collection of more data, the development of more science to help us understand the population dynamics, to help us have more confidence around the population estimates. We've actually got a PhD student about to start some work that actually extends some of that property scale work that's done under the Future Drought Funds project to a regional scale and starting to look at whether we can model populations at a regional scale using indicators like vegetation type and rainfall, etc. All of that stuff will help us in time. We're also hoping to trial drone technology for surveys and things like that as well. And, uh, you know, if we can increase the both the accuracy and decrease the cost of surveys, then all of that will help us in the future be more confident with our population estimates. Part of the reason the survey numbers are contested is that there are many differing views on kangaroo management in the community. Some would prefer to see no lethal management, 
But according to Dr Trudy Sharp, a research scientist with New South Wales Department of Primary Industries, about 77% of Australians are either supportive or have neutral views about kangaroo management, whilst 23% are concerned about it. And as we heard from Terry Brill, whilst the role of the Commercial Kangaroo Management Program is to regulate the kangaroo industry, ensuring animal welfare standards and compliance, the conservation origins of the program are a reminder of the wider landscape-scale challenge that is at stake. We're never going to satisfy everyone's value set. But the reason the program started to exist in the, in the first place, the program was really driven by conservation. You may have heard of um, conservation through sustainable use. It's, it's a branch of wildlife science that there's been quite a lot of study done in, in various places in the world. And certainly commercial harvesting of kangaroos is a really good example of conservation through sustainable use. So conservation objective and the harvesting objective are very compatible, providing the regulation is, is done correctly. So the aerial surveys and population estimates through to quota setting to making sure that we don't harvest in excess of the quota, making sure that whatever is harvested is done so humanely. All of those things uh, are very important in terms of assuring the best possible industry we can that the customers and community around the world can be confident in. So it's really important to me that those customers can be confident that what they're getting is what they think. So sustainably harvested kangaroos that are, that are harvested humanely and are a great product. At the moment, we've got really good evidence that the, that the harvest, as it's regulated at the moment, the strategy they use is sustainable. Because overarching all of it is maintaining the viability of kangaroo populations. That's Dr. Steve McLeod, Principal Research Scientist with New South Wales Department of Primary Industries. He's currently working on a research project that aims to predict kangaroo numbers and movement across individual properties to build on and enhance the current approach. And he understands the importance of maintaining a sustainable industry. You know, with the situations we've seen, and fisheries are a good example because they've been worked on so much, but there's lots of, lots of fisheries that have been exploited and lots of them have been overfished and lots of them have collapsed. And in hindsight, they've gone, oh yeah, we knew why. Now we understand why that happened. But you don't want to get to the situation where you have a collapse and then try to go, well, what happened there? We'd much better be in the situation of if we do this, the likelihood of collapse is very high, so we won't do that. We'll pull back from that. But unlike the fisheries situation, if not enough kangaroos are harvested, overabundant populations can lead to perverse environmental outcomes from overgrazing, as well as kangaroo welfare when drought hits. So managing the population with all those outcomes in mind is really important. Again, adaptive management, because it specifically addresses issues of uncertainty or things we don't know about, the outcomes that we are uncertain, that will address those sort of questions very well. That's why I try to direct my research to, you know, it sort of needs to satisfy me, you know, mentally, academically, the scientist in me, but I also want that, uh, that applied outcome, you know, is it helping or not? Steve's research aims to help decision makers at all levels, from landholders to regulators and all the other stakeholders in between, and help them feel more confident with an active, adaptive approach to kangaroo management. But he acknowledges that change is a challenge. In this management of kangaroos, there's always going to be some compromises between what all the different stakeholders want. 
it's where we sit in that compromise. And it doesn't need to be fixed either. It can change as the environment changes, as our attitude towards wildlife or kangaroos changes. So if the overarching thing is the improvement of, sust of sustainable use, sustainable use is not just the ecology, the sustainable use is also the economic side of it. So it needs to be profitable, but it also needs to be acceptable. So it's a, a moral or an ethical side to it as well, that we as a community say, yes, this use is okay. And you need to put all those three things together. And on top of that, try to get agreement amongst the stakeholders. And if you can't achieve agreement, then at least achieve acknowledgement that they might not get everything that they want. If there's one thing most experts agree on is that there is room for improvement in terms of outcomes for land managers, the kangaroo harvest industry, indigenous communities, governments and regulators, the welfare of kangaroos themselves, and even just the sheer waste involved in current approaches to managing overabundant kangaroos. Fiona Garland, who we heard from at the start of the episode, is on a mission to raise awareness of kangaroo management, and she recently spoke at a CSIRO forum about alternative protein sources to feed our growing population. One of the biggest things that people are talking about at the moment is waste reduction, circular economy, and yet we are wasting so much potential protein from kangaroos every year. It's a wicked shame. And I think we should be respecting our national icon more and utilising them properly. It feels like there's an urgency in the world at the moment to try and feed this growing global population and protein is a big driver. So they're looking at developing new forms of protein, they're increasing the productivity of plant-based proteins. And, and I got up and I gave a three minute spiel about just the sheer waste in the kangaroo management side of things, whether you're talking about the huge difference to, between the quota and the actual take, whether you talk about the number of kangaroos that are culled each year and left in paddocks to decompose, or the millions of kangaroos that die during droughts because their numbers got too big and then the landscape can no longer sustain them. It's not rocket science, really. These are abundant species. They're beautiful species, but we have an abundance of them and we should be utilising them and respecting them for the abundant resource that they are. As well as their abundant protein source, Fiona points out that with improved management of kangaroo grazing, there's also the opportunity for improving natural resource management and maybe even mitigating climate change through carbon sequestration. The potential to store carbon in soils through native pastures and storing carbon and, address and mitigating climate change. And better grazing management has the potential to do that through retaining our beautiful native pastures and the biodiversity in these amazing rangelands that cover 75% of Australia, but certainly about a quarter of Australia's landscape are the southern rangelands where kangaroo management is an issue. So if we can get the grazing management right and allow give landholders the tools to be able to you know, get that grazing pressure right and give um, areas periods of rest and things like that, then we have potential to not only improve the biodiversity and, re and regenerate some of those um, rangelands regions, but actually to sequester carbon in those soils as well. Part of the solution to sequestering that carbon is helping landowners to improve their management of kangaroo numbers on an individual property scale. And the predictive tool that Dr Steve McLeod is working on is a step in that direction. Well, I think what excites me the most is that, like, it's never been done before. This is a brand new thing. Nobody's ever had access to a tool like this where they can understand where the kangaroos are at the property level and how many they might have. So this is a this is a really innovative new thing to have. 
at first when we developed it, the idea was that we would just get extra funding after this first proof of com concept stage and develop a free tool for landholders. But I think what's really exciting is that we could use this tool to inform more strategic, more adaptive management of kangaroos in the landscape. I just think that there's a lot of potential moving forward with this tool. The main thing is though, and we've discussed this in previous episodes, is that our current approach to kangaroo management isn't as strategic as it could be. It doesn't address those issues with the exaggerated peaks and the big troughs in the kangaroo populations. And it doesn't really meet the needs of all the stakeholders involved. So I think this tool has potential to help in that space. If it can take out some of those, those big peaks by identifying where it's happening, then that could be a really good thing. If it can help landholders address some of their grazing pressure issues with overabundant kangaroos, then hopefully we're going to get better landscape management as well. So that's pretty exciting. And yeah, and it could actually help with the efficiency of kangaroo harvesting. You know, there's a whole range of things that, you know, need to be built into better kangaroo management. But certainly I think this tool could actually help to really, you know, sort of move us in the right direction. Now, if you've been following this special kangaroo series of the Pastoral Potty, you'll know that Steve and his research team are busily compiling all their data for this predictive tool. To stay in touch with the development of the tool and more kangaroo-related information, you can contact local land services or the Kangaroo Management Task Force. And we've included links in the show notes. But Fiona, looking forward, what do you see are the next steps to addressing this wicked challenge? If we get all the right people in the room, if we keep reinforcing that everything we're doing is underpinned by rigorous science, if governments work better at putting communications out around the issues with kangaroos, like with kangaroo populations, the reality of kangaroos, kangaroo populations, kangaroo management, kangaroo harvesting, all of those sorts of things, I think we can start to bring the public with us. We are hoping to have a national kangaroo workshop later in the year, so watch this space. We're also working with the New South Wales government. We want to deliver some traditional owner kangaroo forums in New South Wales later this year. So that's another area we just really think that has to be a key part of anything moving forward. But having those conversations at the state level, at the national level, we just need to keep bringing people together and talking about how we move forward. The Pastoral Potty is brought to you by Western Local Land Services and is supported through funding from the Australian Government's Future Drought Fund. The episode was mixed and edited by me, Edgar Grestev, and a big thanks to all our guests. To catch all the other episodes, subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts and make sure to share it with a mate. Thanks for listening. <laughs>